Hello and welcome to another edition of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, kinesiology professor and director of general education at Hope College. And we're coming to you again from the audio studio of Our Daily Bread, where in this Christmas season, they are reminding you of the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ and by sending resources all around the world really improving our relationship and your relationship with God. And so we're very thankful again to be in the studio of Our Daily Bread. Um, I'm pretty excited about our guest today uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he's done a lot of good work in this area of faith and sport and faith and activity and faith and exercise. And we've talked about all of those things already on this podcast. But my favorite part is that he is one of my really good friends. Uh, We've spent a lot of time together. We were colleagues at the same uh, college many, many years ago. And we've been able to keep up over time. Dr. John Aquaviva, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. So John Aquaviva is currently a professor of exercise science at Wingate University, which is interesting in and of itself. But more so, he is a former scrum half for his rugby team. Can we... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Can we start there, Dr. John? I mean, there, I've got so many places to go here, but what I'd really like to hear about is, you know, the rugby motto is, if you see a head, kick it. And yeah. <laughs> tell us what it's like to be a scrum half. Um, well, it's the scrum half is the, he's the guy, in fact, if anybody's ever seen rugby, he's like the quarterback of the team. And that was one of the reasons that I, I was gravitated to the sport uh, through this position. But when the two teams come together and they have what's called a scrum, the scrum half is the one who puts the ball in the middle and then his team tries to basically kick it back to the last guy's foot. And then once the scrum half has it, he becomes like an option quarterback. In fact, Brian, you would relate to this being a triple threat, you know, belong to a triple threat offense back in high school and so forth. And I've had the option, once I picked up the ball, the option to do one of three things. And that is I can run it, I can pass it to the next guy, which is called the fly half, and he can bring it on down the line, or I could kick it to advance and maybe even get the ball, or if nothing else, have the ball go out of bounds and have them regain position, but maybe 40, 50 meters down the field. And it is um, another way to put it, other than you know kicking somebody's head, is one person said and became a bumper sticker, rugby is elegant violence. And when, <laughs> and when I was playing, I never, I never quite... I never quite realized this, and this is absolutely true, you guys. The very first time, and you might remember this, Brian, after my playing days, I, I wanted to play until I was 40 years old, and I did. And that was a you know accomplishment in itself that I was even alive to play rugby at the age of 40. But by the time I was 41, I was a certified referee. And this is absolutely true what I thought. My very first game, it was like Virginia Tech against VMI, Virginia Military Institute, and I was watching the game, and I had like almost an out-of-body experience. And I was watching these highly energetic, really fast, really well-coached rugby teams play against one another. And as the game began, I was watching how violent it was. And my first thought was, man, I'm glad it wasn't this violent when I was playing. There it is. That's exactly right. When I had the ball, I had one goal, which was to try to get rid of it because I didn't like people <laughs> to knock me over. And it, and it sounds like you had the good sense to kind of get out of there as well. And you and I had many, many mornings. Uh, we had a colleague, Jim Buriak, and the three of us would all sit in the coffee room yep. and discuss and debate things like sport yep. and, and Christianity. Uh, That's right. 
I came from a Protestant background and you come from a Catholic background. And so we had lots of different things to talk about and compare okay. and occasionally debate. But mainly it was just such an entertaining flow of ideas and humor. And so I miss, right. I miss those days. Absolutely. Uh, I do remember all the rehabilitation. Uh, you would stand there and you'd use plastic <laughs> tubes to try to rubber tubes to try to rehabilitate your shoulder after a big <laughs> rugby match. And, and uh, for right. us, it was just a fantastic, uh, it's a great memory for me. And I just wanted to sort of have a walk down memory lane, reminding myself of how fun that was. And, and this podcast has become sort of a new opportunity to talk about things like that. Since that time, John, right. you and I have gone separate directions. Can you fill us in a little bit on sort of what you've turned your attention to as a professor, but also as a scholar in the world of sport? Yeah, I'm being an exercise scientist. I continue and I've written quite a bit on, you know, how nutrition plays a role in athletes' lives. And I do stuff on what's called respiratory quotient, which is how many calories we burn and where do the calories come from and so forth. So I'm kind of a traditionalist as far as that goes. I've been published in that area. And if you looked up my name and some of those, those keywords, you would see some of the publications I've had. But one of the things that, you know, going back a couple minutes that you mentioned was I started to, you know, um, think about my faith and talk about, well, how can I mix, you know, how, how can I have a marriage between the two things that I love most? And that is my field, and then the Christian faith. And as you mentioned, I, I practiced the faith through Catholicism. I was born, born and raised Catholic. And the Church, and in particular the Vatican and the Popes, have spoken actually a great deal about the role of, of sport in the Christian life. And as that started to kind of come forward, because it was John Paul II who his papacy ran from 1978 to 19, or to 2005, he actually spoke from the very beginning of his papacy to the very end on what it means to be a virtuous athlete. And that, that raised a red flag in me, and it, it kind of diverted my attention, both professionally and as a Christian, because I was like, yeah, that's something that people don't necessarily put together. And that's why I have energy for this program, and I appreciate what you, you Chad, and Bill do weekly, is bringing sport and virtue to the faithful and these are just a couple of the ways in which a lot of people, like you guys, like me with my former program on faith and sport and so forth, are bringing a message of not only of hope, but of practicality, like a way to apply our Christian faith to everyday living, and in particular sport. And that's one of the reasons why I hear the energy from you and Chad, and I always have energy for this because... It's just something that the world needs to hear. They, they, we need to hear about how to apply a Christian faith. Because so many times, Brian and Chad, people go to Mass for a Catholic, they go to church or a service, and it sounds good within the pews, but as soon as they get out to the parking lot, they have a hard time applying that. And that's why all this conversation that you've generated, you guys on this show, and I've tried to do, and other people have tried to do on their programs about sport and faith, is that you're trying to say, okay, here's how to bring your faith to the field. And I just think it's something needed, and it's something that is, um, it, I think it's something that is accepted by the public, because they're like, yeah, how do I apply this? And it can be applied to every aspect of sport, including sport. Not, It's not a coincidence, it's it's all part of life, and and we can't deny that. 
Well, and you mentioned a lot of things in there. Thanks very much for kind of giving us the landscape to move forward and talk a little bit about faith, sport, uh, this idea of virtue, and also living it out. I just wanted to make the readers unaware that uh, John has also spent some time as a radio host for about three and a half years. He was on a nationally syndicated program uh, through Catholic Radio uh, about sport and faith, but also a broader topic. So the, the Vatican has talked about sport, but also just talked about a general theology of the body and right. exercise and how we look at ourselves. And John's written extensively on this idea of body image. And so we've discussed some of those things on this program as well. And uh, a new program should be coming out fairly soon, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the podcast. John, tell us a little bit about like where are your perspectives coming other than your own experience in sport. I, I as a parent and I, I as a coach, I learn yep. more about sport through those roles. Do you have uh, some other connections? I do. In fact, um, you know, when I thought about coming on this program, uh, it was right around the same time when, when you asked, I should say, if I would be a guest on this program. And, like, I was in the midst of writing an article on sport and virtue for the parent, for the coach, and for the athlete. And I was discussing in this article that's out to be out on what's called the Grotto Network it's through Notre Dame University or University of Notre Dame. And they want to do the same thing that you guys are doing. They want to extend this thing on the importance of the human body. And in particular, they wanted me to write a series of articles on both body image and why our bodies are important and why we were embodied and not just spiritual beings. But they also asked me to write on sport and virtue. And some of the language around that is becoming... It's certainly not common, but it's becoming more common, like the role of respect and where loyalty goes in there and um, discipline and where all these kind of these characteristics, where, where do they kind of fit into this world of sport? But then in preparation for this program, I thought, you know, why don't we come at this from a slightly different angle? And that is, why don't we talk about our role as fans? Because... You might remember this saying, and I, I heard this a long time ago, and the coach's name is Bud Wilkinson, and he coached Oklahoma in the 1950s and 60s, and he had this great quote which said, football is a game in which a handful of fit men run around for 90 minutes watched by millions who could use the exercise. Right Now there's a little humor in there, but of course it paints the bigger general picture in that you know, there are hundreds of thousands of professional, collegiate, and high school athletes, right? And then there's a few more tens of thousands of coaches and administrators and referees and so forth, all involved in sport, right? And those numbers probably could be through the internet. We could get within probably a couple thousand of how many are actually involved in sport. But we would all agree that millions of people are fans. Millions of people go to baseball games each year, that tens of millions watch baseball every year. Millions go to football games. Tens of millions watch football games every year. So there's a lot more people that are watching people play sport than there are actually people playing sport. And not to mention, I mean, not to say that all the stuff we just got done talking about isn't important, right? We need to talk about sport and virtue and the people that are involved in sport. But we need to take a look at sport and virtue from a different angle, and that is as fans. And I have a couple things do you want me to start kind of like down the proverbial list of how we can be virtuous as a fan of sport? Well, it's, it might be more fun to tell us how to be uh, not <laughs> virtuous, but uh, <laughs> yeah, let's start with virtue. That's fine. 
Yeah, so um, there was a couple things, and then no particular order, but now, and also, let me preface this by saying uh, one of the things that Brian and I have in common, and in, in, uh, Chad, I assume this for you as well, you're a Michigander, Chad? I am, yeah. Okay, Very so, proud. yes, and, and I was born and raised in the city of Detroit, and that's 40 minutes, um, you know, east of, of Ann Arbor, and so I grew grew up a Michigan Wolverine fan. And some of my analogies here, some of my examples here, are my experience as a as a U of M fan. And um, I remember, like in particular, I was uh, invited to go to a Penn State football game. And originally, it was supposed to be Penn State versus Michigan. And my brother in law went to Penn State, played football for Joe Paterno in Penn State. And he invited me and my then fiance Alicia to a game, and we couldn't go to the Michigan game. So I remember it was Illinois versus Indiana or versus Penn State, and we tailgated with them. And I have to admit that was so much fun. It was my first real tailgate, and I was in my 40s, and I'd never done anything like this. The food was great, and I remember all the people. They couldn't have been nicer to me in this little group of folks that we were with, and um. And, and, you know, they made a joke, you know, a joke a minute. Yeah, we welcome John, even though he's a Michigan fan and all that, right? Because that's one of their big rivals. And and But you don't really know hatred for a team until you're around those people, right? Yeah. And and here's my experience with that. The Michigan game was on in the afternoon, and the, the Penn State game was at night. So we had a, literally a couple hours of just tailgating before we went into the stadium. And one of the guys said, John, listen. I understand you're a Michigan fan. I have a generator. My TV's over there being unused. I know Michigan's on right now, and I go, indeed it is. And so he flips up his tailgate, and or flips down his tailgate, and next thing you know, within minutes, I'm watching the Michigan Wolverines play against Wisconsin. And But it happens to be right near this pathway of people going into one of the entrances to Nittany Lions Stadium, Right. And as the game wore on, of course, it got darker and it gets closer to game time. Now, remember, I, keep in mind, you guys, I don't have a Michigan hat on, sweatshirt, jacket. I don't have anything. I don't even have blue or gold on, right, or maize and blue at this time. But as people are filing more and more, thousands of people walked by this TV. Now, remember, I right, it's just on the TV. And the, the verbiage that was coming from them about Michigan and everything from words of hatred to words I would not repeat in the presence of my own home if I was in the room by myself. And it was the one word that would sum up what they were saying was hatred. And some of them got downright belligerent. Again, not knowing that I, that, as little as they knew, or as far as they knew, I was just a Penn State fan who happened to be watching another Big Ten game. And I, I was shocked by how they acted, by, by what they said, and... I always think now, now that I'm a parent, and I know you guys are parents as well, that how would they be acting the same way if their kids were there? But more than anything, how would I explain that if I were saying that stuff to my son or my daughters in that context? Like, Daddy, why do you feel that way, or why are you saying that? And it would be really difficult, you guys, really difficult to have that those actions and to say such words around your kids and then to justify it through the means of just being a good, loyal fan of a team. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was always, and every time I talk about that story, I become newly shocked on 
just how borderline belligerent all those people were. And I don't mean it was a dozen I mean it was hundreds, maybe even thousands of people as they flowed by. And my eyes were big. I didn't blink for a couple minutes at times thinking, oh my gosh, these guys don't even know I'm actually a Michigan fan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, John, I'm sort of, uh, um, as a Penn State alum myself, um, I, even though I'm from Michigan, I, my, my tongue is bitten off here. I love this story that, that, that you're telling. In some this sense, this could not have hit better. This, this <laughs> strikes a nerve in the I've been center of my to core. Chat about yeah, this for a just long time. Give me how much time do I have right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think um, this hits me at my core in a couple different ways. Number one, I, 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 I'm pretty sure I was at that game, and I may have been one of the people that walked by <laughs> that television. Wow. And spit venom. I mean, I, I I joined the masses when I was there at Penn State. We went to every game. And I, you know, the, the team I root for is Penn State. The second team I root yep. for is whoever's playing Michigan, right? Michigan, there you go. And, and so <laughs> that's sort of been, been, you know, central to my heart. And yet when you, when you, when we pull this out of context and we start thinking about the implications of our behavior and what we say, you know, I've, I've felt very convicted myself as, as a father of, of two younger kids who are asking these exact yeah. questions. Why do you think this way? Why don't you like Michigan? Uh, and why are you saying these words that you shouldn't be saying while Penn State's playing, even though all they did was drop a pass or something like that, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so it's so it's interesting to me that, that you were able to have this experience being from Michigan at Penn State. You are uh, as an outsider, really, and somebody sort of experiencing right. that. Um, and that, that may have been, for the record, it could have happened at any stadium across the country, right? It's not just a That's Penn right. State thing, but that happened to be your experience. Right. And so as a Penn State alum, I feel, I feel very badly about that. Yeah, I know it could happen anywhere. But the times that I took friends to Penn State games that were Michigan fans, the, the treatment they received was, was uh, appalling. And yeah. it, was, it was the same when I went to, to Michigan games and wore my Penn State stuff. But uh, right. there right. is real hatred. And I feel that sometimes. And I feel horrible that I feel that sometimes. And I, I, in some sense, my heart is so invested in what's going on. And, and Michigan has been a better team than Penn State most years. It, it's okay. Yeah. At least when I was at Penn State, this was in the mid, mid 2000s. That's and right. uh, so they had something that I desperately wanted. I wanted to be above them. As, as I wanted yeah. my team to be above them. And that was part of maybe what spurred my hatred. And so I'm not sure if that's the road you're going down or not. What? What is it? What's the what's the basis of this hatred? And and secondly, maybe more importantly, how do we deal with it? Yeah. Well, you've asked the million dollar question at the end. And by the way, folks, and all, to all the listeners, and um, you know, Brian probably had no idea I was going to tell that story. And of course, Chad, I had no idea that you were a Penn State fan. But you said the most single most important thing. That was just a specific example. It's like any other. It's like any other analogy or any other story you want to tell. It's best if there's specifics in there, but there's no question that if I was a Penn State fan at Michigan Stadium, the same thing could have happened, and you're right, and it's worth repeating. This was just an example of what happens probably every Saturday at every tailgate throughout the country, especially when you're talking about rivals. And I think it's, I think it's normal. I think we have to you know, be careful to use the word hate around our children, for instance, because that's one of the words that my wife vehemently um, talks to our children about, about not using. And, but I, we do put it in context with, when it's in sport, and I think in and of it by itself, as it deals with disliking the other team, I think there's a certain pass that can be given. But 
that's that's worth talking about maybe another time as well as like just that that word but mm-hmm. how how we deal with it i think um comes down to reflecting and really thinking about the following terms that if our team wins we are a winner and if our team loses we are a loser and that is worth grappling with right there i think that's worth praying on and that is worth um you know just kind of investigating why do i feel that way and of course when we feel like a loser when our team loses that means we're losing to somebody else and that's where our energy and our dislike and even our hatred could go but i think the whole thing chad centers around this if we win we're a winner if we lose we're a loser and of course no more you know no more opposite um or opposing terms or, or sentences could be said there's there's that has nothing to do with one has nothing to do with the other in fact you could very much be on a losing team of how many games in a row in any sport and you could still have great qualities your coach could have great qualities and so forth but yeah the, the games are set up to win or lose uh, i mean that's why so many games that end in ties people just go ugh i i feel like i need my money back or something but that's why sport is good that's one of the reasons why it's great that's why playing everything from checkers to chess to you know the pro basketball nba finals they're all great because there's going to be a winner and that's why we play the game we play to win the game but that's outside of all this stuff. I just so, think. Sorry, John. Can I um, go ahead? I interject. Think, yeah, I think we need to help our listeners too. Kind of sort through. You're talking on 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 both sides of this. The yeah. this sort of joy of sport, yeah. and somewhere in there, this this um, vice of sport, right? That's right. And so, what I'm wondering is, you, you said, you know, maybe there's some space in there for us to be able to have an emotion that maybe hatred is the wrong word but you know, when we watch Star Wars we're mm-hmm. we're going to root against Darth Vader right. when we you know read Harry Potter it's Voldemort there's a sure. villain and part of the joy is to sort of villainize in sport the other team part of the interest is to affiliate with our own team in other words if i if I really invest and feel like I'm a part of, in this case, the Michigan Wolverines or Penn State and Italy Lions, in that case, if I detach myself completely from that experience, then am I still going to have the same interest, the same joy? And then what emotion can I have in sport when I want to win and I want the other team to lose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that that's you know, that, you know what Chad said earlier is what I've heard a lot of my um, Michigan State fans and Michigan State um, friend fans, and you know one in particular went to school there. He still has season tickets. Same thing with my brother-in-law; he has season tickets and so forth. Um, yeah, they they have two favorite teams, right? The Nittany Lions and then who, who's ever playing against Michigan or. In the case of Michigan people, it's like whoever's playing Ohio State and so forth. But the the whole thing is that it it's just like anything; it needs to be tempered, right? And that's why temperance is an important thing in in virtue, an important thing in morality. Is that 
our behaviors, what we say, what we think, it needs to be tempered and put into perspective. And when we use um, really strong words like hate, but further, like these people were, again, uh, you know, sorry to, to repeat this, the phrase, but they were borderline belligerent, like as if I were to admit I was a Michigan fan, I think they would have jumped the fence and maybe started <laughs> started something you know and i know alcohol probably had something i think involved right. in there i think you're right yeah <laughs> but but it, but it's it's again it needs to, our, our actions and our words need to be tempered and we can still be that's the great thing about this is we can still be really big fans of the detroit lions we can be really big fans of the nittany lions we we can be really big fans of any team sport but at the same time, we have great parenting opportunities. We have great opportunities to be models to those around us, in particular, our children. And there's, if you ask me, there's no reason to necessarily hate the other team, even though they are the villain. And, and But again, it just needs to be tempered. That's That's the best word I could use, and that's the best word I could repeat in kind of, you know, framing this whole thing. But so, so John, I think you're mentioning parenting. You mentioned yeah. parenting. You're speaking to two parents here. Uh, of course. Give us a success story. Give us an example here of, of a time when when you felt like, hey, I, I really, I really think I did something right and well to help uh, to help kids, to help youth sport, to help us understand uh, how we should be acting, how we can temper ourselves, as opposed to just you know shooting ourselves with a sedative. How else are we going to temper it? You know, this ex- excitement here. Give us an example of something you've done that's been that's worked really well. Yeah. Well, my, my son, I have a seven-year-old son, Luke, and he just finished his season in um, in flag football. And there was this one play where um, a, clearly a penalty was made uh, on the, the team that had the ball. My son's team was on defense. And they, they made some, you know, infraction, and they somehow obstructed with the kid trying to get the flag and the kid ends up going you know the length of the field for this really good run but it was aided by you know people going against the rules there's penalties that should have been called but at seven years old these kids were at oldest i think seven and they're all six or seven so the referees hardly ever blow the whistle until a flag is pulled that's like kind of ends the play and then they maybe explain it but after this kid scored some of the seven-year-olds that really kind of got it they were going to their coach hey that that was a penalty that they can't they can't do that and he just immediately like almost ignored what they were saying he goes wow that was a really good run that that kid made and and what he did is he turned it around and said did you notice what he did he went to the right and he saw some defenders there so he just went the other way but he didn't run way around the side he just kind of you know, he just kind of headed to the middle of the field, and he cut down from anybody trying to catch him. Because what kids tend to do, as you guys know, is they tend to go way to the outside, and then the faster kid will catch him immediately as they're going around and even lose yardage. So he was just trying to explain what that kid did that was good and how he ran the ball, and he just ignored because it, I thought that was very adult of him, right? Like it's just it's, I think that's what great coaches do. They could sit there and argue with the referee on that 30-minute timeout in basketball, but instead they just use that time to go, all right, that was a bad call. We can't do anything about that. Listen, when we get the ball, here's what we're going to do. And they just focus at the, you know, with the task at hand, and I think all coaches and all parents can do that. 
yeah, bad things happen in a game, but we have this opportunity constantly to go, let's move on, because that's what life is. We get fired from jobs. We get, we get um, bad things, you know, we get demoted. We, this happens, this happens. All in life, this stuff happens. But we are asked to just move on. And I think coaches who do that, that's showing a positive thing, and that's a reflection of life. Let's just move on. I think where you're headed there, John, is terrific in terms of helping our listeners and helping all of us figure out when we're emotionally connected to something. There's a possibility for us to be drawn in and to, when the mirror is turned on us, to not be uh, very proud of what we look like in those moments. And so to be able to see through others' eyes, and so you've kind of encouraged us to see ourselves through our children's eyes, but also you've encouraged us to sort of uh, step back and make sure that even the the other fans around us or the other parents around us would be proud of that moment. And in that case, you were. You were proud of that coach's moment. He, instead yeah. of focusing on a negative from the past, tried to spin it and move forward. And he did it in such a way that uh, acknowledged that things in sport are going to happen all the time. And there will be moments where we feel like there was an injustice, where... Right. It feels like what we have to do is try to correct that injustice, but maybe right. our disposition would be much better served in the short and the long term to try to focus on going forward. And those are great reminders for all of us because we're so emotionally invested. And if we take it one more step back, I think to prepare our minds and our hearts going into sport would be uh, very helpful as well, recognizing that we've all been in that place where these right. Penn State fans were, where where Chad was when he was yelling at you right. and spitting at you and all those sorts of things <laughs> that happened. Don't do a campus. DNA test. It's yeah. just too too much. And <laughs> and to be able to take those moments and move forward rather than uh, just repeat them over and over again. Yeah, yeah. No, there's um, exactly that's that's what really we want to do because if if. I remember you and I were having a conversation a long time ago, Brian, and we were talking about teaching, and you said something along the lines of, if you are not a reflective teacher, you are not of much use in the field. And I, I'm paraphrasing, and but I remember it was you who said that, and you were talking about you have to reflect as a teacher, otherwise you probably won't get any better. And that's what we have to do at the end of our day. That's one of the reasons why it's great to pray in the morning, but it's also great to drop to our knees at night and reflect on the day what we said, what we didn't say, what we did, what we didn't do, what we thought, and what we didn't think, and so forth. And that, I think, just that reflection allows us to get a little better. And I, I think from that perspective, that's how coaches, parents, athletes, and fans get better, is just reflect on what I did, what I didn't do, and see if I can and ask the Lord to help me get better for tomorrow. And I think what you've said is that that's a fairly natural uh, activity in a sport context where athletes and coaches are interacting. In fact, a lot of that is uh, built into the process if you have a very intentional coach trying to work with people and trying to develop people, but it's not built into the process for fans. Fans just get angry right. and go home, right? right? And so there's not a great deal of conversation about how fans deal with wins and losses and ugly behavior and minor injustices that happen in sport. So that yeah. uh, I think that's been helpful for us to get a sense of, uh, you know, how you're processing that from, from your faith perspective and from your, your sport perspective, recognizing that 
uh, as parents, that's one of our, our most uh, obvious connections in the world of sport. We have this op- opportunity to kind of work with those uh, fans and parents around us. Sometimes, for me, uh, it's, it's my father, right? So he'll come to a game yeah. and say things, Dad, Dad, you can't say that here. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, it's like, that kid's terrible, but his parents are sitting right there. So <laughs> no filter. So, John, what are some of the, the virtues then that we should be thinking about as parents or for parents watching their kids play sports? Are there certain things? I mean, you mentioned this example, this coach's ability to turn this bad call into yeah. and helping his players recognize yeah. the excellence in the opponents. And that seems like a really virtuous thing to be able to do. That was a great play. Yeah. We should appreciate right. that. What are the virtues we should be looking at to instill in the parents at youth sporting events? Uh, I would say forgiveness. Um, this is a a term that is laden in scripture, you know, whether it's told from a, a story, a proverb, a, you know, a parable by Christ. Um, and this, there's a theme of forgiveness. In fact, this is clearly a trait of being a Christian, and I think anybody who is a practicing Christian, or even one that believes in just simply good behavior, whether they believe in God or not, whether they believe in Christ as our Lord or not, they would see that forgiveness is just a trait to accept and to practice in daily life. Otherwise, to put it bluntly, fellas, life could be miserable without the trait of forgiveness. And sport is no exception. Sport, In fact, sport is a great way to apply forgiveness. And a couple of examples. Um, when we're a fan of the sport, the referee will constantly make mistakes. In fact, the irony with the instant replay in baseball, but especially in football, shows that they still can't get it right. How many times, you guys, have we watched a pro or college football game, and they'll go, the call in the field is a catch, but it's under further review. And they show it from three or four different angles, and even the commentators will go, it's clear the ball hit the ground there, this is not a catch. And then after five minutes of your wasted time, they come back and say, after further review, we've decided that it is a catch first down. And you're like, what <laughs> video were you watching? <laughs> and it's, 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 it's mind-boggling. And how many times, and unfortunately, now that you know, our, our youngest is three, she's, you know, when she was a newborn, I remember, and our other three were newborns, people would mention a football game, and I go, is, I didn't even know it was football season. And you guys know that from your days as being a, a, a new parent. But now that my youngest is three, I've actually had a chance to watch some Saturday and some Sunday football. And as little as I watch, I still see this constantly. They get it wrong. And they're just trying to do their best job. Yes, yeah, some people would argue oh, they're on the take or they're incompetent. I tell the truth, I don't think it's either one of those things. We just make mistakes. And they need to be forgiven Let's move on. The coaches make bad decisions all the time. Whether And it doesn't matter whether it's the manager in baseball, a coach of the Detroit Lions, who make probably more errors than most people. Lots of mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) And then any other coach at any other level, they're going to make mistakes on who they play, what play to call, and what defensive scheme they're going to run in, right? So they make mistakes. And then, of course, the players make mistakes. They drop the ball. They make mental errors all the time. And I think there needs to be literally this constant act of forgiveness because it will just, again, it will turn us sour. And, it, and, and really the bottom line here, guys, that I'm trying to portray is 
you're losing these opportunities to model good behavior to your kids. It's okay to stomp your foot and go, oh, man, he should have had that. Or, ref, I can't believe you missed that call. I think that's perfectly okay to say that. But it, the matter is how we do it, one, and two, how long we let that linger. That's when it shows instability and just downright, like, sour behavior. And if it's going to bleed into our marriage. It's going to bleed into our family life. And we're, mis- we're greatly mistaken, you guys, if we don't think when our team loses, it doesn't bleed into our familial life. It does. Brian, Brian, do you remember you and I were talking about this years ago? And, Chad, you probably heard of this as well. Do you guys remember the, the article that came out? And I think it was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it showed that on Sunday nights during the football season when the Steelers lost was the highest incidence of all year of which there was physical abuse against the wife. Did you guys ever hear that? Yeah, yeah, I saw that article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and of course that that's a whole different level than what we're talking about, right? Nobody needs to. It's not arguable point whether it's appropriate behavior to do that, but it just shows that the frustration and it comes out in this way is just sad, right? And we know it comes out in a lot of different ways, and we just lose opportunity. And we want to teach our friends, our family members, but especially our children, the act of forgiveness. And what better way to do it, at least in part, through sport? We're given the opportunity just about every five minutes in sport. So practice it every once in a while. That's a fantastic uh, opportunity for us to uh, to think about sport in a different way. And uh, we appreciate your ability to articulate that in a way that helps us see it practically in a day-to-day fashion. We're talking to Uh, Professor John Aquaviva, who is at Wingate University, uh, has his own radio show on Catholic Radio and uh, has spent some time writing and thinking about the theology of the body, body image, exercise, but also sport and virtue. And we're really thankful for you sharing your insights with us today. And we're getting to the point we've, uh, we've already filled our time. It feels a lot like the lounge back when we were you know, sort of preparing for class, and we'd look at our watches and say, oh, I think I'm five minutes late. You get going right. on, a, on a conversation, and uh, you just keep uh, pushing it a little bit further, and each time it gets a little bit richer. So thanks very much, John. We're going to move to now what we call the speed round, where we get a chance to get to know you a little bit better, and our listeners do as well. So what we okay. want you to do is just uh, give us your quick, short response, and we'll sort of uh, tag team this on our end. Let us know a little bit more about you. Uh, Chad, why don't you kick it off? Okay. These are going to be pretty simple to start, John. So here we go. Favorite athlete? Go ahead. Uh, Current or or past? You name it. Okay. Um, Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders. Okay. I was thinking I might be someone who played in the state of Michigan. I was hoping that that wouldn't have been someone that wore maize and blue. This is a great answer. (laughs) Favorite team to cheer for? Oh, um, Detroit Tigers for sure. Really? Nice. I like that. Okay, baseball guy. That's good. All right, let's build on what you've just been talking about. Who is the athlete or the team or the coach that you find yourself connecting with the the idea of forgiveness with the most? Either you're forgiving yourself because you're watching them or you find you have to forgive them for so many mistakes. Uh, Gosh, I'd probably say uh, Joe Reich. And that last name should sound familiar. His brother... Frank is the Frank head coach. Frank sure. Yeah, yeah. He's the coach of the Indianapolis Colts. His brother, Joe, is a friend of mine. He belo- we belong to the same parish uh, here in North Carolina. 
and Joe is the head football coach here at Wingate University. And I just think he's a terrific role model. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So let me switch gears a little bit then, and let's talk about you. Your most exhilarating sport moment, whether as a participant or as a fan. Yeah. It's probably, or it was, when I, we won a sevens tournament uh, in rugby in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, years ago, and I was named the MVP of the tournament. Ah, pretty exciting. Nice. Yeah. And so yeah. In, I, I hear those usually those awards usually go to scrum halves, though. Is that <laughs> <laughs> you know they're the pretty boy <laughs> of the <laughs> rugby world because all the other the guys funny, are, are truly ugly. Yeah, right. <laughs> the funny thing about that award, guys, is I, I truly had no idea I was going to win the award, but this gal kept kept coming up to me at the after tournament social. And she kept asking me how to pronounce my last name. <laughs> and I just thought she was just enamored by my last name. I never put two and two together until afterwards. I was like, that's why. Because when they went up to the podium, they just wanted to get the name right. She literally asked me four times, how do you say your last name again? And I was like, wow, you really like Italian last names, huh? <laughs> <laughs> now, John, I don't know about the rest of your career, but I was on the, the group of uh, people that hired you. Uh, at yeah, Roanoke College, right. and, and you that's literally right. got the job because of your name. It was, first of all, <laughs> starts with an A, top of the list. And we we just looked at it like, Aqua Viva. Why Aqua, go elsewhere? Aqua Viva, that's it. He's our guy. <laughs> so I, I'm sure doors have opened for you. Just because of that, no doubt, brother. Right, so that was a happy moment. Give us your most heartbreaking. Oh, it was losing a rugby tournament. We were in the final um, it was again a rugby tournament, and it was uh, um, in Johnson City, Tennessee, and we were ahead twenty to nothing at the half, and we lost twenty-one twenty in the final minute of the game, and it was for the championship, and it was heartbreaking. Even though I played baseball a lot longer than I played rugby, uh, I could probably come up with some heartbreaking losses, but that's the first thing I think of. That was brutal. Okay. Well, let me stick for the next question with the rugby topic. I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank here, but then maybe explain your answer. Rugby sure. rugby is the blank sport in the entire world. Most exhilarating. I, I, I've never jumped out of an airplane, but the second <laughs> I played it, and, and let's face it, guys, the reason that going downhill on a mountain on skis or jumping out of an airplane is so exciting is that there's this element of danger, right? Like, mm -hmm. Whether you would articulate it as danger or not, it's, it's exhilarating, and rugby is that. It, it, the second I got that ball, I remember thinking, wow, this is really neat. I can use my quickness. I can use my speed. I can use my, you know, the fact that I'm about three foot five, and I could get around and go through guys' legs and everything. But it's also, I realized at the same, in the same minute, I was trying to go around this guy or go through this guy that I would end up in a coma somewhere. So... That's why it was so exhilarating. That's interesting. Exhilaration is important. Um, Brian plays golf, by the way. <laughs> High-paced, a <laughs> lot of danger. Those swans could be nasty. Oh, my. <laughs> it, it's frightening. Absolutely the frightening. Closest, the closest I ever came was when I was on a golf course in South Carolina, and a guy goes, on, on this hole near the tee box, a crocodile lives. Sure, I've been or there. Or an alligator. Yep. Alligator lives. Yeah, and he was definitely there. And so I... I understand that there is exhilaration that because i was the only time my heart rate went above like 70 yeah you know say, jumping you're being, you're out of plane and making a two and a half foot putt when it matters almost the same <laughs> almost the same 
Very so, generous, John. So a spiritual question for you, John. Um, Go ahead. How uh, is it possible for you to actually set aside and potentially renounce your faith when Michigan plays Notre Dame? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's that's a great question, but this is uh, an answer that not many people know. The University of Michigan was founded by a Jesuit priest. Oh, I that's all, that. that's, that's all you're going no, no, with. That's, all right. that's, well, that's, no, no, that's not what I'm going with. That is the truth. So we're all Catholic, brother. We're all Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard that every day for the years that's that I've right. known you. Exactly right. <laughs> John, thanks. For, thank you very much. I, I have a question for you. Um, so as you think about where you're giving, putting your attention and your energy as you move forward, do you think that sport and uh, the way that we interact with it is getting worse, getting better? How would you how would you characterize sort of the current state of sport? Uh, Brian, you had to end with a really tough question. I really don't know. Um, I, I'll tell you why I am. This, why I think it's going in the wrong direction, and then I'll end with on a more positive note. But on the nightly news a couple weeks ago, they interviewed this guy who started a uh, website, and the only purpose was to post videos of basically coaches, athletes, or their parents acting poorly on the field. And his whole thing was to shame them into better behavior, right? But I found out since then that there's not just one website, you guys, that devotes themselves to this. There are numerous ones that just say, post your web, your video here. So that magnifies it. Now, of course, just with the you know availability of video cameras via cell phones and so forth, we all know that it's not necessarily happening any less or more than it was, say, 20 years ago. It's just we have direct access to it because of these outlets, right? But the reason that I have hope for it is because of shows like the one we're on right now and because people have devoted articles and columns in newspapers and people, it's just more at the forefront of people's minds. And I think that is what ultimately is going to change it. Because here's the interesting thing. I truly believe this about Christianity and in particular my faith, my faith Catholicism, is that it is not through Christianity that we get to people. It is through sport that we introduce Christianity. In other words, people need a way, going back to my opening comments, people need a way to apply their Christian faith. They just do. And if you give them something that they love, sport, being a fan or playing it or coaching it or refereeing it, if you give them an opportunity to apply it through what they love, I think it makes a lot more sense and Christianity will be further along. Dr. John Aquaviva from Wingate University sharing some of his insights about sport and faith. John, you've written uh, a couple of books on yeah. body image. Can you let the listeners know where they might be able to find them? Sure. Uh, improving Your Body Image Through Catholic Teaching. Uh, it's Even though it's through Catholic teaching, folks, uh, um, I can assure you a lot of people have written it that are not of the faith. It's just a universal language of what the body means. Uh, the other book is Raising Kids with a Healthy Body Image, and these are both available through Amazon and wherever you buy books like Borders and so forth. So, um, yeah, check them out, especially if you know somebody that uh, is struggling with body image. Just the message messages there are universal for sure. 
We're very uh, privileged to have you on this program, and uh, thank you for your work through the years, and we look forward to hearing you again on, uh, on the airwaves. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Chad, Brian, thank you very much for having me. Uh, this was great to be on, and thank you for all that you guys do, too. All right, that's a wrap. Thanks very much. Very good. Thanks, John. That was a lot of fun.